You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we do use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. To get access to new episodes, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in on the conversation on Instagram and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast, where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. But don't take our word for it. (laughs) Now on to today's case. Oh, man. Who in Travis Alexander's life wants to kill him in such a brutal way? I remember dropping the knife and it claimed the tile. It made a big noise. It was so brutal and so disgusting. This girl just butchered one of my best friends. How can you live in a house with a dead body and not know something's amiss? Grab us, Lord, Jody, into all this kinky sex. The amount of evidence became mind-boggling. She had planned killing Travis Alexander before she actually killed him. Jody was Travis's dirty little secret. You're mad. You make me feel so dirty. Ep two. Is that how you're starting it? <laughs> yep. Hate it. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. Welcome back. <clears throat> yeah, welcome to Killer Queens episode. I have no idea. <laughs> episode question mark. <laughs> but this is episode two of the Jody Arias trilogy. AKA the biggest bitch in the whole wide world. Yep. <clears throat> um, so this is the second part of the three part documentary. Okay. I know we like everybody always has to do this, but if you <laughs> are just now starting this podcast, do not listen to this first. Mm-mm. You gotta go back to episode one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lest you find yourself lost. Yes. So, and you've been warned. You have been warned. And we love you. Yes. Welcome. But for those of you who have listened to episode one, here we are. Proceed. Proceed. (laughs) So in this episode, we open with an interview with Jody. This is, uh, the whole thing drives me just bananas, but... (laughs) Um, that's how my son pronounces the word bananas. How do you um, spell that? <laughs> I'm not sure, but he doesn't like bananas and he doesn't like grapes. So just know that. Yeah. Um, so she's talking to, I guess just like a news, I don't know. She's a news person. She's on the news, <laughs> whatever. And, um, she's saying that there's a lot of forensic evidence to suggest that she was in Travis's house, but that it's compelling. Yeah, it's really compelling in that when she's looking at evidence or when she's confronted with any type of evidence, she always, like, this is something that she does for a living. Like, (laughs) she's almost talking like she's an investigator or whatever. I always ask the question of, how would I view this as a third party, you know, if I weren't part of the equation? So she says, you know, I got to be honest, it's very compelling, but none of it proves that I committed murder. And at this point, she's still... Yeah, maybe on opposite day, Jody. Yeah. She's still giving the story that, you know, this was these were intruders that killed Travis, that she wasn't there, that, of course, they're going to find her DNA there because she's been there before, but she wasn't there the day of the murder, essentially. Right. And um, Nancy Grace, 
is not having it. She <laughs> talks about Jody on her show, and they're showing like Jody getting ready for her TV interview, and she's checking her makeup and checking her hair and this is like the one time where i'm like okay nancy grace <laughs> yeah, usually exactly. she gets on my nerves so bad yeah she's like oh yeah i gotta make sure you're checking your makeup when you're getting ready to talk about your boyfriend's murder <laughs> it's just like she very nancy grace is it but i mean she's like what the fuck right i also liked nancy grace in scott peterson's trial coverage just because I agreed with her on yeah. a lot of stuff, too. Yeah, I guess if, if I agree with her, and if I haven't seen too much of her in the Ex- very recent yeah. <laughs> past mm-hmm. or something, then I'm okay with it. She's aggressive. <laughs> she really is. But you know what? Sometimes you got to be aggressive, I guess. Um, but, I mean, I think it's just, it's, everybody sees that Jody obviously just wants this attention. Like, one of the things that going through the entire trial and a lot of the, you know, shit that she pulls in episode three, which is where they cover basically the defense's case, part of the trial, um, and the sentencing phase, it's just very clear that she just wants all eyes on her. It's all about her. And to her, there's no such thing as negative publicity. Right. Basically. Um, So... I don't know. It's just everybody sees that. Everybody sees that because yeah. who, like who in their right mind, even if she did commit this act in self-defense, are you smiling in your mugshot? Are you asking if you can do your makeup? Like your only concern is like how you're going to photograph. Right. I don't know. I just I can't. So Jane and she's so transparent, but I don't know why she thinks she can like. Yeah. Get away with it or something. You know, <laughs> Right. Like that everybody I think. But uh, we'll get into this to actually hear shortly but i think she thinks she's smarter than everybody else oh totally which most criminals do (laughs) yeah yeah exactly she thinks she is just so well educated she's so well-rounded and that you know everybody else isn't gonna see what she's trying to do she's very manipulative and i think that a lot of times she succeeds in that but i think she just wasn't prepared for the amount of scrutiny that she was gonna get I think she really thought she could just be like, I'm sorry, officer. What was I speeding? Oh, with their boobs pushed together or something. Yeah. Which there's not a lot there. Hey, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But she uses them in a sinister way. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. It's not okay. So then we get to talk to our lovely Jane. (laughs) <laughs> and here comes Jane with her <laughs> with her headlines. This was a vicious, cold-blooded, brutal slaying. She just like like when she talks I write down like her sentences because that's her sentence. It's like it's like when um people try to sell you like SEO services or whatever and you can like you can look at a web page and see when it was written for quote unquote SEO because it's like um, you know, Nashville, Tennessee doctor performing, you know, this service, that service for Nashville, Tennessee doctor services. It's like, there's all these, like, they're just trying to like jam as many keywords as they can into what they're saying. Like, mm-hmm. that's how Jane talks. She drives me fucking crazy. I actually did write down one of her, um, quotes <laughs> at like in, in the next, like soon upcoming thing that we're going to talk about, but it's like, 
oh my god it's so bad <laughs> yeah exactly she's just like you you have to it's distracting it like because she can't just talk in like a normal no sentence um and so this is this episode is where we're going to get into the trial the investigation part is over now we're going to see the process of getting jody convicted and her evolving ever evolving defense so <laughs> um we at this point we hear audio between jody and travis so they kind of they splice this in in episode two and then they also bring it back in in episode three but we hear the audio of jody and travis and jody is saying that he's going to tie her to a tree and he says i'm gonna put a blank in your blank now Use your imagination there. Yeah. Um, but Jody says, oh, my gosh, that is so debasing. And um, spoiler alert, I had to look up what debasing meant. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not as smart as Jody. No. But no um, so and we'll get into that specific conversation a little bit more later. But this is the way like from Jody's perspective that's all she wants you to know is that when Travis says something like that she would follow it up with something like oh my gosh that's so debasing like I can't believe you would say something like that and um this whole trial and her whole defense is about basically dragging his name just through the mud mm -hmm. that's that's their whole whole defense yeah I mean that's all they really can do um doesn't make it right but no. that's what they've decided to go with so after the opening credits, Jane tells us we're at this point about a month out from the murder that Travis had 27 stab wounds and was almost decapitated and also shot in the head. So, I mean, 27 stab wounds is significant because in a self-defense case, I don't know how you explain the 26 other stab wounds no, and the gunshot. Like, I feel like in a self-defense case, you can maybe explain one or two you know, just because you're supposed to defend yourself to the point of where the other person is incapacitated or is no longer a threat to you. Totally. This is overkill. Yeah. 27 stab wounds is overkill. So, and Beth Karras says the photos of Jody from the day of the murder are the most triple uh, X pornographic photos she's ever seen. <laughs> so, I mean, these people are like, if you're covering that trial or you're in the like gallery, you're getting an eyeful of a lot of shit you probably never saw before. <laughs> it's like, very, very colorful. Yeah, yeah. Colorful is a good word for it. Mm -hmm. um, and then at this point, we're going to get some background on Jody from the interview with her mom. So did you catch her mom's first name? Um, yes. Her mother's name is Sandy. Sandy. Okay. I did not. So I was like... Her mother. It's the one thing that I've caught. That, <laughs> that I, you you caught so much stuff, like you're going through all your notes, and I'm like, didn't, don't, nope, nope, don't remember any of that. And then you're like, what's your mom's name? Oh, Sandy. <laughs> See, that's why we're a great team. <laughs> um, So Sandy then is telling the investigator that Jody grew up in a stable home. They were middle class. She had a good relationship with her siblings. She was very intelligent. And her mom even says that she kind of like belittled her basically for not oh, going yeah. to college. And she would have, you know, she'd read all these books. She was always reading these really high level books and say, Mom, you need to you need to read more and need to better yourself. Yeah. And, like, you know, making her feel basically less than because she she didn't go to college. Like, 
There's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, and her father, Bill Arias, uh, who I think he owned restaurants, right? He did. Yeah. yeah. So he said that Jody got busted when she was in the eighth grade for growing weed. And after that, they searched her room and um, she decided that they were just like nosy parents and they didn't trust her and they were just trying to ruin. Yeah, basically. Like, buzz. Yeah, pretty much. And he said that ever since that point, she has kept secrets from them, like that everything has been very private with her, that she doesn't really tell them anything that, I mean, she really took offense to the fact that basically they had the nerve to search her room when she was in eighth grade. And obviously she was fucking growing weed. Yeah. So, I mean. Reason to search it. Yeah. She was riding dirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. So, um, and he just said ever since then, it's just been like that she's closed that door. Just yes. no more information. And, um. Sandy said, like, that she needs help because she has, she's built this fantasy up in her mind that she had this terrible childhood. And it's just not true. And she tells people that. So people that know Jody don't really know the truth behind the way that she was brought up because they believe that she had this horrible childhood and that she, you know, didn't. She didn't even really have anywhere to go. Like she moved in with her boyfriend junior year of high school because she didn't like having a curfew. Um, and yeah, she felt like her parents were too strict. Which, like, bitch, when I was when I turned eighteen, my mom was like, "Um, you can't. You have to be home before it gets dark." And that's fucking four thirty in November. Like, yeah, exactly. Rude. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, she didn't like having a curfew, and I'm pretty sure she was allowed to stay out past four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, or go places after school (laughs) right but like if she if anybody that she's like friends with at this point they think that she like got kicked out of her house or she didn't have anywhere to go like she's painting that's her narrative that she's telling however she wants to and uh her dad says that in the days after travis's murder jody told her parents that she had to leave because she might be blamed for something but when they said blame for what what's going on she's like oh i I can't tell you but i'm just going to be blamed for something they're like what the fuck are you talking about she wouldn't give him any details at all just that she had to leave um so obviously they thought that was pretty strange and um and that also i mean it's not a secret that she was there and she did it but at this point she's saying that um you know she started out saying that she didn't know anything about it and you know that she had heard about it through other people and then you know she called the detectives and was like I want to offer help or whatever and I heard there was a lot of blood what kind of weapon was used and stuff like that um but if she's talking to her parents the days after the murder and saying I'm going to get blamed for something then obviously she knew it happened before you know she quote unquote found out about it from all these other people or whatever so just like if you talk to anybody else who knows Travis or Jody, it all of her story is going to fall apart and get contradicted. Right. Um, so detective Flores resumes his questioning of Jody. Um, and at this point she says that they are, she and Travis were interrupted the day that he was killed. So she finally is saying, okay, I was there. Um, 
I went to visit him and all this stuff, but, you know, during the shower and taking photos, we were interrupted by two white intruders with ski masks, a man and a woman. And then she says that she ran to the closet. The man never touched her, but he held a gun to her head. And the, then he told the girl to, quote unquote, finish it. She and the girl struggled. Um, they're fighting over. I don't know if she's saying she has a knife at this point. But she she says, say that. Okay, so they're fighting over the knife. She says the two intruders argued over whether or not to kill her. And then one of them says, well, that's not what what we're here for. We're not here for her. So the detective Flores is like, okay, well, did they say what they're there for? She's like, I mean, no, they didn't say, but it was obvious they were there for Travis because they killed him. Yeah. And she's like, and not me. I mean, obviously it was for Travis. Yeah. And she also claims that she was injured during the struggle with the knife. So it's like the woman wielding a knife. She's like struggling, struggling, struggling. And detective Flores is like, well, can you show me where you're injured? And she was like, yeah. And she shows the palm of her hand and it's like on her little finger. There's a teeny little, or maybe on like one of her, I don't know, index finger or something like that. It's her ring finger on her left hand. Okay. And she's like, yeah, it's right here. And it's like the bend of your finger, like where the, you know. Like right in the crease. Yeah, right in the crease. There's like a little cut there. Yeah. Like a teeny, teeny, tiny, small cut, like a paper cut. Yeah. Right there. And she says, yeah, it's uh, conveniently, it's in the crease of my, you know, in my face. Like, she uses the word conveniently. Yeah. It's so strange. Um, so then she says that the man who killed, or who, you know, the whole thing was that they were there to kill Travis, but the right. man grabs the registration out of her wallet and was like, oh, you must be that bitch from California. And he said, if you ever, ever say anything about this, we'll do the same thing to you and your family. And then she says that after that, she just gets in her car and drives as fast as she could to Salt Lake City. And Flores is like, you didn't stop anywhere. You didn't tell anybody. Like You didn't call anybody about this. And she said that she was too scared and she didn't want to do anything. Yeah. And she wanted to protect her family. Yes. And of course, Flores is like, listen, bitch, I've been doing this. We didn't yeah. say bitch, but he said, I've been doing this for a long time. And this is literally the most far-fetched story I've ever heard. And it's not going to help you. Is this how you want to leave this? Yeah. And Jody's just like crumpled up like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get, I, she says that she doesn't want her family to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And, She's just really like digging in her heels with that. I'm just, I just don't want to hurt my family. I can't, I don't want to put them in, in danger. And he's like, well, all right. I mean, if that's what you want to do, then you're being charged with first degree murder. Like, that's it. We basically, your story is a crock of shit. Yeah. And I'm not going to have it. Um. So after that, or after Jody's placed under arrest, veteran prosecutor, he's like um, the DA for Maricopa County. His name is Juan Martinez, and he takes over. Yep. And in 2008, he had been um, the DA for 12 years. And he's described as, and as you can see, I mean, he's a very, he's a small man. He's not big or imposing. Um, but they say, like, in the courtroom, he's larger than life. Like, he is a bulldog. He will take anybody down. He fights mm-hmm. really hard. Um, and this is the quote that I wrote <laughs> that Jane says she's like he's all about making killers face justice and locking them up and throwing away the key Mm. he does not take plea bargains hell 
to the no. Oh, no. Tell to the no. She said it. Tell to the no. Oh, man. Oh, Jane. Oh, Jane. Yeah, but I do like that he doesn't take plea deals. I do, too. Because I don't like those. Yeah, I mean, why? Yeah. So, but he's got, he's got a little bit, I mean, it's a slam dunk case in the sense that it's very obvious she was there and she committed the crime. Her palm print is in blood and the blood is hers and Travis's mixed together. Yeah. But um, he has to prove premeditation. And during his investigation, he finds something he says that is going to prove premeditation. And so he decided for that reason that he was going to pursue the death penalty in this case. So he uh he felt really confident that he was going to be able to to prove that premeditation and um that's kind of when the case i think that's that was the turning point where the case kind of became this absolutely national sensation i mean they hadn't even got to all the sex details yet which that's really what sealed the deal for it i think but mm-hmm. it was a a young woman attractive woman she looks small and meek and timid and she's facing the death penalty mm-hmm. and um and also her glamour shot looking mug shot you know yeah skyrocketed everything so then jody goes on inside edition to tell her intruder story which she's <laughs> she starts like doing all kinds of interviews immediately after this which they yeah. say and i'm pretty sure it's kind of obvious like for a defense attorney that's the worst thing that you can have in a client like you do not want them to just go and basically throw their cat around trying to tell their story and tell their story it's just ridiculous but that's just what she does yeah they're they're like shut up stop talking um so in that interview she tells um she tells inside edition she's never even shot a real gun you know i couldn't imagine slitting anybody's throat that's heinous you know, I never would have hurt Travis. He was my friend, all this stuff. And she says, no jury would ever convict me. And the whoever's interviewing her is like, well, why not? And she's like, because I'm innocent. Yeah. She's like, she's like, and you can mark my words. Yeah. Mark my words on that one. Um, no jury will convict me. And then she says, God knows. Travis knows. I know I'm innocent. I'm like, oh, stop it. Um, she starts holding press conferences inside of the jail, which I don't know what, like, I know some jails don't let you do, like, I don't know, because there's some, there's some, like, things that I've watched where, you know, the person can only talk to the, um, the prisoner via phone because they won't allow cameras or whatever, but I don't Mm -hmm. know, I guess, I don't know if it's just a per jail policy or whatever, but this one was like, yep, coming in. So she did like all kinds of press conferences inside the jail. Mm -hmm. Lucky Um, for her. Yeah. And, uh, Brian, how do you say this? Skoloff, I think. Skoloff. Um, he says he, he's like, I really believe that she thought she could just flirt her way through the trial. Like that. It was just going to be this. Yep. Where she just like bat her eyes a few times and everybody be like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh, she's too, she's too sweet. She couldn't do anything like that. Um, so poor Kirk Nurmi <laughs> is assigned to Jody as her public defender. And she actually was deci- er, assigned another like co-counsel. So the woman who ends up defending her with Kirk, Jennifer Wilmot, mm-hmm. she wasn't the first one. There was another woman named Victoria Washington who was assigned 
and she filed a motion to not work on the case. Mm. She could not deal with it. Couldn't deal with Jody. So she actually ended up not having to having to work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kirk Nurmi is he actually ended up writing a book. Um, he says he's going to write three books on the case, but he ended up writing a book. His first book is called Trapped with Miss Arius, I think. Oh, wow. And he actually tried to be removed from the case several times and they wouldn't let him. And then he actually ended up quitting his job. Damn. There that he and he'd been there like a really long time as a public defender, like eight or 10 years or something. And he quit his job because he thought if he quit, he wouldn't have to work on her like appeals and stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the judge actually ordered that he still oh my work her case even after he quit his job. So he got completely stuck with her that and sucks. he really can't stand her. Yeah. Um, so. He said their first meeting was like, he said it was so weird. It was like meeting a friend. Not that he, yeah, not that he was like, enjoyed talking with her, but the, how casual it was, was like, yeah, meeting your friend for coffee at Starbucks. He said it was like casual. She was just sort of like leaning kind of like, you know, in her chair, leaning her head on her hand and just like talking like, you know. Not like someone who was... He was facing the death penalty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was just like, couldn't believe it. And he said she was just incredibly demanding. She called every single day. She wanted she wanted calls with him every single day. Yeah. She asked him to look after her cat. Yeah. Like they're friends or yeah. something or they're in a relationship. And she she wanted him all to herself. Like one of the things he talked about in his book was that she... Um, if, if he didn't do exactly what it is that she wanted him to do or wouldn't talk to her every single day or whatever it was, she would tell him, he says in no uncertain terms. So I don't know if this was like, I guess she was like alluding to it or whatever, but that she would talk so badly about him in the jail that nobody else would ever hire him. And like, basically she wanted him to devote all of her time, all of his time to her case. He, she didn't want him to have other clients. She thought that she should be his only client. She's such a bitch, like so entitled. Yeah. I just don't even understand. Exactly. And he knew that the intruder story was, was a bunch of malarkey. Yeah. So he's like, we've got to find, he said, a new direction. So he wanted to talk with Jody, go through literally every aspect of their entire relationship to find some other defense basically because he knew the intruder story i mean just wasn't that gonna dog hold ain't up. gonna hunt exactly um so that's when jody starts alleging that travis was abusive he was sexually degrading he was violent and then later a pedophile um i love how cuz this is something that jane always says throughout the um the docuseries she's anytime she's like giving out a list of either characteristics or anything she's like the last one is always like and for good measure a pedophile too yeah (laughs) for good measure so in june 2010 the intruder story is abandoned altogether (laughs) now she was there and she did kill him but it was self-defense so, oh, it makes so much sense. Exactly. And Kirk says there's evidence that was consistent with that claim. Uh, I don't know if like being a public reaching. defender, if that's just a lie that you tell yourself or if you have to believe it on some level. Right. Or, like I now I understand and I believe that 
everybody does have the right to be defended. And being a defense attorney is an incredibly important job because there are people who Mm -hmm. can be railroaded or manipulated into false confessions or whatever the case may be or kind of off subject and i'm sorry about it but i just watched the three part or i think it was more than three i think it was like five part document docuseries on north korea it's really good it was on national geographic Mm. and kim jong-un um he had his uncle killed because he said that he was like a traitor to the government and he was like embezzling and all kinds of stuff and he didn't even have he the trial was just for show he was not able or allowed to defend himself at all and then they Mm. took him and they obliterated him with these like huge machine guns like they said there's nothing left of him on this earth because his remains were just destroyed oh my god i know but that's like how north korea is it's like you don't you don't get to be you don't get a defense yeah if you're accused you're guilty that's all there is to it yeah kim jong-un says it yeah so Yeah, I mean, it's really important. I think that everybody, you know, you deserve to have some sort of a defense. But what I don't like is saying something like, well, I knew the intruder story wasn't going to hold up, so we had to find a new direction. Like, I don't know. That almost feels like, you know, what can I pull out of my ass, basically? Like, and to him, I think he was just trying to get a win for him would have been not first degree murder. Yeah, that's what he said. Which it's not it's like a bitter well, I don't even know if you can call it bittersweet, but it's it wasn't like a celebrated Right. It wouldn't have been just, celebrated. Yeah, it's, it's just, just better yeah. than the alternative. But I would say a win for Kirk Nermy is just to get the fuck away from Jody Arias. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's like to me, I mean, if you know that her story is bullshit and you know that she, I mean, there is just so much evidence of premeditation, I feel like, and mm-hmm. just her behavior. Like, if you, and, you know, they're they're using this whole that Travis was sexually aggressive to her and that he wouldn't take no for an answer and, you know, abusive and all this kind of stuff. But Kirk knows her to be sexually manipulative. He knows her to be sexually explicit on her own accord Mm -hmm. like she doesn't need anybody to pressure her into that she does that kind of stuff on her own so then to to turn around and use that defense i think is fucked up well and and and, um kirk can obviously see that if jody doesn't get her way she there will be hell to pay like she's going to do something about it obviously exactly like she they're trying to paint her as this demure very like sweet uh innocent victim and battered woman syndrome kind of thing but she is like you said if she doesn't get her way there's hell to pay so he's already seeing how aggressive she is and how take charge she is and Mm -hmm. that she's a back down if she doesn't like get her way Mm -hmm. so yeah it just i i just don't agree with it i don't think it's i think you know everybody deserves the opportunity to be defended but i don't think that you should be allowed to do it in an like lie to get it yeah Yeah. so um that's just how i feel about that but yeah 
And that's um, all I have to say about that. <laughs> so, and he says the coverage of the trial was just insane. It was... Everybody was... A circus. Yes. Yeah. And they've said, which I agree, I mean, they... I don't think there will be anything as big as the Jody Arias case in our lifetime. Like, it's... I mean, this is huge, you know? Yeah, like, it was huge. It was... And there was just so many different explosive components to it. Um, and you have to say that about Jody. I mean, obviously she was a very, or she is very smart to have played it the way that she's played it because she's kept a lot of people's attention, you know, like she's doing a pretty damn good job of, or she did a good job of keeping all eyes on her and keeping that like captivating kind of. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in January, 2013, the trial begins. This is five years after the murder. Um, we get to meet Bill Zervikos, who was the jury foreman, and he says that he didn't know anything about the crime before the trial. He hadn't heard anything of it. Aren't you living under a rock, Bill? Exactly. He didn't know anything. He didn't know about Jody. Um, we talked to another juror, Diane Schwartz. Um, she says that her first impression of Jody was that she was very meek, like, she just said she was this small person. How could she? It was hard to wrap their heads around. Like, how could she have done what they said she did, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, and the judge for the trial is going to be Sherry Stevens. Martinez says his goal for opening statement is to convey the violence that was inflicted on Travis. And he says the motive is revenge. So he really wants the jury to understand exactly what it is that Travis went through, how vicious the attack was, that it, you know, it's not holding up to evidence of just self-defense. Um, and they find an email from Jody to Travis just before his murder where she mentions his trip to Cancun that she was clearly not invited to. So he's thinking she has found out that, you know, obviously there's going to be this big trip and she would have expected to be his plus one. And she's not. So she knows somebody else is and she's not happy about it. And he says, you know, self-defense, 27 stab wounds and slitting of the throat. And shooting in the head. Yeah. In addition to gunshot wound to the head, that's not self-defense. doesn't make sense. It's too much. So uh, Jennifer Wilmot does the opening statements for the defense. So she talks about the reality that Jody was... Travis's dirty little secret that he pushed and pushed and pushed for a sexual relationship with Jody, um, which I thought was interesting because I don't think that anybody had to push her into having a sexual relationship. No, that was not something. I mean, she when she met Travis, she was living with her boyfriend of four years. I assume they were not living in celibacy. Right. I mean, One of my friends used this because I sometimes will say like throwing their cat around and I think that's kind of funny, but I feel like this is kind of funny too, but also maybe really gross and maybe we'll have to cut it out. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) But she always says, and this is kind of true for Jody Arias, that the taco shop was open. Oh, (laughs) it was open. Not, uh, not closed. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's true. (laughs) It is. It was open for business. Yeah. I, I just don't think, 
I think they're trying to portray her in this situation as somebody who was so in love with Travis that she was willing to do anything that he wanted her to, including all of these crazy, kinky, sexual things, but that she wasn't, that it wasn't something that she was comfortable with and that he pushed it and pushed it and she felt like either that she couldn't say no or that she did say no or I don't know, but it just, I mean, that just didn't ring true. I mean, you can see all of these other relationships that she's had and how flirtatious she is with everybody that's around her. She's not a she's not this like stranger to sexual encounters. She's yeah. just not. She's not naive and she's not innocent. No. So June 4th, uh, 2008, she says that uh, Travis gave her no other choice but to defend herself. That you know, she says they were taking the pictures, he was in the shower, that she dropped his camera, and he flew into a rage. Um, And Beth Karras says, you know, it's always a risk to attack a victim, but for her, it was necessary for her defense. They had to come after, if this was the defense they were going with, they were going to have to basically attack Travis's character. And, you know, she's like, it, that's a dicey game. You don't know how it's going to come off. The jury may really, really not like that. They may right. really find that in poor taste. Um, so unless you have evidence to back it up, you have to be really careful with that. I mean, in, on one hand, it's just not right. I mean, whether or not Travis was the best person anybody has ever met doesn't mean that he deserves to be killed. And... If you're going to turn around and say, you know, call him a pedophile and shit when you don't have anything to back that up. I mean, you know, the jury may, you know, just that that's going to put a bad taste in their mouth. You don't want to do that. So you have to be careful. Yes. Um, and Bill, the jury foreman, says that when Jennifer said Jody had a normal life until she met Travis, which changed the trajectory of her life, he said it really resonated with him that. Everything was normal for Jody until she met Travis. And then that's when things started getting crazy, which I think that just goes to show that um, they didn't bring a lot of evidence in about her past. Cause, yeah. And I think that that and, and I don't know. I mean, I feel like Jody could be one of those women or one of those people that she's under your or you're under her spell and you don't even know it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she just, like, because everything with her, as far as I'm concerned, everything with her was very calculated. There was nothing that she did that was, like, on accident, you know? Oh, right. So, for him to have bought into that and been like, oh, poor baby. Like, she's she's just, she's clearly the victim here. And, you know, maybe that changes whatever. But, yeah. It's obvious that she it, she was doing her work and it was working for her. Oh, you know? yeah. Because for him to, to be like, okay, well... Well, look at that. I mean, if if she had a normal life, if she had normal, healthy relationships before she met Travis, what's the what's the common denominator here? What's the changing factor? Well, it's Travis. Mm-hmm. Um, so the state begins their case. They call Mimi Hall to the stand and they talk to her about her relationship with Travis because she's the person that was supposed to go to Cancun with him. And she knew that he had feelings for her. She knew that he wanted to date and take the relationship to the next level, but she didn't want to do that. And she said she still felt very comfortable. 
yeah, Martinez asked, like, if he was disrespectful in any way, um, if he attempted to, like, kiss her, hold her hand, touch her in any way on any of the dates they went on. Because they went on a total of, I think, three dates. Mm-hmm. And Mimi was like, no, he was, they, he hugged her and that was it. And he was very, very respectful. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he also asked her about a problem that Travis was having because apparently Travis told Mimi about... Um, he said in the weeks before his murder that he had had a stalker and he just said that the stalker was a female and that she had slashed his tire several times, had broken into his email and bank account, and that she had broken into his house through a doggy door and slept on his couch without him knowing about it. Yeah. But he never told Mimi who it was, but all of the friends were like, that was Jody. Like, yeah, we knew she slashed his tires. We knew she did all this. And, um, and you know, Dave was like, we knew she'd done a lot of that stuff, but we just never thought she'd attack him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they go over the autopsy, um, Jody wouldn't look at any of the photos. It was too emotional for her. Yeah. She had her hair, her head down the whole time and like hair yeah. in her face and stuff. Yeah. And, um, Bill says, it's so horrible the way, I mean, he didn't mean it in a horrible way, I don't think, but he says, Travis was really chopped up and it was hard to look at a person in that condition and and try to be analytical because he's like, you're looking at these pictures and you know this is a person and you're trying to look at injuries and say, you know, does this fit with self-defense or does this fit in some other way? Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, it was just really hard to to look at it that way when you're you're seeing somebody with injuries as horrible as what he sustained. Yeah. Um the medical examiner um is on the stand and details the defensive wounds on Travis's hands and says that a person has to be alive and conscious to sustain these types of wounds. That was Ken Horn. Yes. Yes. And Jody, you know, she was alleging or saying that she shot Travis first, that he didn't die. She struggled for the knife with him and then stabbed him to incapacitate him. So what the medical examiner is saying is, you know, the defensive wounds that he got, obviously he was still alive. He was still fighting. So the gunshot couldn't have come first because he says that you know, if he was shot in the head and he was shot kind of like over his left eyebrow and then the bullet was like lodged in his cheek. It was, I forget which eyebrow actually now. So it was either the right or the left eyebrow, but whichever eyebrow like above the eyebrow it went into, it was like lodged in that, you know, opposite cheek. So it went, the trajectory is down. Mm-hmm. So, but what he says there is, Unfortunately, that when they did the autopsy, his brain was decomposed to the point that they couldn't see the like path of the bullet through his brain, mm-hmm. but that obviously there that- was a brain there. Yeah. And to he would have to you would have to conclude that the brain would have been perforated. Yeah. For that injury to have taken place. Like there's no other place for the bullet to have gone except right. through the brain. Through the brain. And that had it gone through the brain, he would have been rendered immediately incapacitated. Even if he hadn't died immediately, he would not have been able to move or to continue fighting with her. So what he's saying is the gunshot wound, like, would make, render those stab wounds completely unnecessary. So why are there 27 stab wounds 
and his throat slit still. Yeah, directly after she shot him in the head. Yeah. And and it also means that because he does have all these defensive wounds, that the gunshot would have had to have happened after those wounds. The gunshot couldn't have come first because if the gunshot had happened first, he would have had no reason to sustain defensive wounds. Right. Because he would so have been fighting. Either way, it's overkill. Like, there's yeah. no way that... Exactly. And on cross-examination, Jennifer Wilmot... This uh, is where I hate her. <laughs> it's absolutely asinine. I mm-hmm. mean, there's like no other way to put it because she she comes out and she's like, so just so we're clear, um, you don't have any medical evidence of, of the bullet passing through his brain. He's like... It had to pass through the brain. She's like, yeah, but you don't have any medical evidence. Right. And he's like, well, no, I don't have, I don't have any physical, like, no, we don't, we don't see the path through the brain because it was already decomposed. She's like, okay. And so he's like, but his brain, if his brain was there, which it was because he was alive. Yeah. You would have to surmise that it went through his brain. There's no other place for it to go. Your skull is only like an inch thick. So. If it went through, it's going to hit the brain. The way, the trajectory that it went down, your brain is right there. But she's like, but you don't know that. And Bill, um, the jury foreman, says it drives you batty because instead of feeling like they're getting credible evidence, it felt like everyone was just basically trying to sell you on their version of the forensics. And he's like, you know, we're not lawyers. We're not scientists. We don't know how this stuff works. So it's like. To hear something like that, it just shows you that they're trying to pick apart anything that they could. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is just a silly thing to try and jump on. But the, um, I don't remember if it was Beth or the other girl, I think her name is Monica. But they were saying, you know, this was a problem for the prosecution because they couldn't, they couldn't document that there was brain damage because of the decomposition they could not physically document that the bullet passed through the brain even though logically you would have to conclude that and that the defense jumped on that they saw an opening and they jumped at it i think to me that's not an opening yeah but i mean when you're in when it's a case like this or like i don't know any kind of trial it, it has to be beyond reasonable doubt like you can't you have to have evidence of everything. It has to be scientific evidence. Yeah. But is that a reasonable doubt or a not reasonable doubt? Like, no, I mean, I agree. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And it just, it does show that that sometimes the system is literally just loopholes and mm-hmm. who can argue the be- I mean, it's not necessarily about the facts. The facts are he was shot in the head and that if he had a brain inside of his body, which he did, it would have to pass through it. But, you know, we're trying to get out a technicality on that. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, so then we hear from Wairika police officer Kevin Friedman about the weapon. So Carolyn Allen, Jody's grandmother, um, had called the police in uh, May 28th, 2008. Mm-hmm. And said that her their house had been burglarized. So her grandparents um, come home and find that their home has been burglarized. And a DVD player, a CD player, some cash, and a gun were taken. 
Yeah. And during the time that Officer Friedman was there taking the report, Jody actually showed up and her um he said he remembered, you know, seeing her and talking to her and, you know, she didn't really have any information to give him or whatever. Um, but it just so happens that her grandfather's gun that was stolen is the same caliber gun that killed Travis. Now, the gun was never recovered and his gun was never returned or found. Mm-hmm. So, and this was just one week before Travis's murder. It's It's kind of convenient that there was a break in. And the gun was stolen, and then she went and used the same type of gun. Yeah, exactly. And they never found the gun. So, and I guess, I guess nobody knew, because she's saying she used Travis's gun. So, maybe she was just banking on the fact that nobody knew whether or not he owned a gun? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, nine days into the trial, the prosecution rests their case. And now Kirk Nurmi is going to begin his defense. So his first witness is Daryl Brewer, who is Jody's ex-boyfriend. And he's like a lot older than Jody. Yeah. About two decades older. Yeah. And he says that they dated from 2002 to 2006. He described her as normal and caring person. He says that she had a great relationship with his with his daughter. His, I think it was or his son. His son, yeah. And um, and he was actually the person that she was dating when she met Travis and decided to like just literally just like move out of her house. Yeah. Um, on cross examination, Juan Martinez questions him about. A visit from Jody on June 3rd, 2008. So this is the day before Travis is killed. She So this is when she's taking her road trip from Northern California. She's coming down to Southern California to visit friends, she had said. And then she was going to go over to Salt Lake City to visit this guy. So she visits Daryl. And while she's there, she asks him for two gas cans. And she wanted them to be... I guess they went and got them filled up or whatever. So she gets two gas cans from him. Now, she had kept her receipts from her trip, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yes. I don't know. I um, guess she did that because she knew she was going to have to produce, like, where did you go? Alibis kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So she kept all of her receipts. So she's got receipts in California and Utah and, you know, wherever else it is that she supposedly drove through. To get there so that she can show this, she ate here and she stopped and got gas here or whatever. She has none from Arizona. Yeah, none from Arizona. So the gas cans obviously are a way for her to get in and out of Arizona without ever having to run her credit card in Arizona. So that way she doesn't have to stop for gas. Yeah, she doesn't have a paper trail. Yeah. And Martinez is like, you know... If you've ever visited California, there's gas stations everywhere. So, and I don't know the exact route that she took. I know there are some places in California that are a little bit, um, like, deserty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending on her route, she may have really only been traveling through heavily populated areas. So, you know, he's saying that the route that she took should have been completely dotted with gas stations. There shouldn't have been any reason that she wouldn't even take gas cans with her. Right. Um 
so this is kind of his like bombshell that's supposed to show the premeditation because no, at this point nobody else knew about the gas cans and I don't think Daryl told them that thinking that it was going to be something they could use against her he just told them what happened yeah he gave her two gas cans so Juan heard about that and was like hang on a second why would she need the gas cans so I mean that just didn't do her any favors for sure nope um, the defense also calls Travis's ex-girlfriend, Lisa Andrews. Um, they dated in late 2007 and early 2008. And um, they wanted her to corroborate Jody's testimony that Travis was sexually aggressive. And they go through an email between her and Travis that she obviously really didn't want to have out. <laughs> like... I don't think it was something that she really wanted to talk about. She seemed pretty embarrassed. And she's at this point, she's married and has moved on and all this kind of stuff. Um, But she was basically saying that she felt like, I mean, one of the things she said in the email was that um, her kisses didn't mean anything to him, that she felt like a way for him to just like blow off steam or something or wasn't it like, yeah, relieve some sexual tension. Yeah. Relieve sexual tension. That's what it was. Um, and then she says that they ended up breaking up because she found out Travis was cheating on her and she learned that it was with Jody Arias. So on cross-examination, Juan Martinez gets her to say that basically her inexperience led her to believe that, cause I guess what, what she was saying that like, once he got an erection, he wouldn't stop. I'm not, I mean, I don't know. She never, on the stand when they're talking to her, she never said he forced me to have sex with him or anything like that. Mm -mm. She just said she felt like he didn't want to take no for an answer, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even well, think but she said I it think, that way. Yeah, and and I think with that kind of reasoning, like what, if she, if if that's what she meant, I think she meant it like his body wouldn't take no for an answer. Right, right, right. And so... Juan gets her to say that or admit that her inexperience at the time led her to believe that if he basically if he got a boner that he should be able to turn it off. Right. Like if he respected her enough, then he would not have he would have been able to like kiss her and not have gotten aroused, which yeah, is not the case. Right. Obvi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it Ashton Kutcher that said that for some reason he would accidentally get a boner when they would do the pledge of allegiance at school (laughs) i don't know (laughs) like apparently you just can't you can't control it i know so um but that's what yeah that's what she's saying that basically his body he should have been able to control his body's responses and then his body wouldn't not do that in certain situations and now that she sees that you know, that's not the case. That's not how it works. Well, and I felt so bad for her being on the stand because you could tell she really, really, really did not want to be there like Mm -hmm. at all. And when he was asking her questions, she was just like, yes, like she knew what she had said in her email was not how she felt these days. You know, like she's been around the block long enough to know that that's not the case anymore. So she, you could tell she was like embarrassed about it or something, you know? Yeah. She's like, you know, I, I don't necessarily want everybody to know that I didn't get how boners worked. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, um, but 
one thing that happens during his questioning of her is, and then it, I mean, it gets aggressive with her and you see her eyes just like getting big and she's like, what the fuck? Why is he yelling at me? I know. But he's like, so you agree, you know, that just because of this, it doesn't mean that he deserves to, you know, have his throat slit or whatever. And he like pulls the picture out. Yeah. He pulls the crime scene photo out showing, you know, Travis's neck almost decapitated yeah and his like some of his family members like get up and have to run out of the courtroom like i i don't know why in that particular moment that's when he decided to pull that photo out well it seems like he forgot who he was cross-examining yeah exactly it was like she didn't kill him like yeah yeah because he seemed like he was getting pretty pissed during their conversation and her eyes are just big like oh my god and um and so that was I feel like little baby Juan Martinez you need to like spray him with a spray bottle. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. Yeah, calm down. No, bad. Get off the furniture. Um so that's that's really the end of episode two. We close finding out that Jody's gonna take the stand, that they're gonna play the sex tapes, that it's about to get raunchy than hell. Yeah, basically. so get ready. Buckle up. Buttercup. Yep. So that's episode two. We will catch you on the flip-flop. Yep. For episode three. Trace. Bye. Bye.